Welcome to Fantastic Books and How to Read Them. The fantasy book review podcast by this couple who's read more than a couple of fantastic books. We're your hosts, Sam and Anna, and let's see what we're reading this week. We're live. Welcome back, fantastic listeners. It's Sam and Anna, and we're married. <laughs> Yay! So, after a brief hiatus of enjoying a wonderful wedding and awesome honeymoon, we're both back ready for action yes so hopefully we will have more time to record than we did pre-wedding but i'm not making any promises life gets a little busy sometimes but we are here for you guys and we are excited to be continuing with the king killer chronicles great so i think we only have a couple of i mean they're not even like that big of announcements but we decided that our next book after wise man's fear is going to be dragons of autumn twilight which is a pretty popular fantasy book that somehow neither of us have ever read. Yeah, very excited to look into that. I hear it's got lots of flavors of Dungeons and Dragons, so excited to check that out. It literally has the Dungeons and Dragons like logo on the cover, so... <laughs> oh yeah, it's going to be cool. It should be really fun, and it'll be interesting to see how like we make predictions and guesses as we go along, versus this book where we're... I've already read it multiple times. Well versed. <laughs> and then some people saw on our Instagram, I read Shadow and Bone while we were away on our honeymoon, and that book slaps if you have not read it. Uh, if you have not seen the Netflix show, also really good, but they are different. So I just wanted to put that out as a recommendation. And I did also, if anyone's looking for other podcasts to listen to, just start listening to a podcast called The Newest Olympian, which goes over the Percy Jackson books with a host who's also never read them. So that's a pretty cool podcast as well, if anyone's into it. And it's inspired me to reread those books. Oh, yeah. Lots of quality content. <laughs> but those those books are a delight. I really do enjoy the Percy Jackson books. Yeah, they're definitely more they're for charming. a younger audience. But I think they hit the mark of like 12-year-old boy main character better than the Harry Potter series does. Mm. Like he's a much more believable character. And everything's kind of punny and entertaining and like off the cuff and sort of cheeky. So yeah, it's campy, but it's like comforting. Yeah, they're, I don't know. They're a pretty good read. And I've only read them once and I don't remember the end, which you did accidentally spoil for me yesterday. <gasps> <laughs> no spoilies. No, that was that was a faux pas. That's OK. I, I mean, you knew I'd read them. I should have said I don't remember them before I brought up the podcast. I just felt bad. It's okay. I mean, like, I don't, I'm at point A, like, I've just started listening, and they're in chapter, like, two in the podcast, and I do not remember how they get all the way to the end of book five, so it's gonna be a fun journey. Mm-hmm. But I think that's all we have for announcements. Last episode, I was by myself, so I'm real stoked to have Sam back, obviously, so that we can chat about everything together. And we left Kavoth just as he was experiencing all his trials and tribulations trying to get to Ventus. And in this set of chapters, boy oh boy has he made it. And like a lot of cool stuff happens. And what I love about this change in the book is that like there's new characters, there's new scenery, there's new plot points, there's new conflict. It's very much outside of the realm of influence of the university. So Kavoth's really on his own. He doesn't have Will and Sim with him. He doesn't have Threpe or, or anyone at the Aeolian or Denna like watching out for him the way he does back in Imre. 
So it really shifts the book and moves the plot in a very unexpected and different direction than you would have thought based on everything he was doing at the university. No, this is definitely, in my opinion, where things really start taking off as far as influences that affect Kavoth to become who he was meant to be. Yeah. The, the university was really good for acquiring skills and learning things, but real life experiences here in Ventus and things that fall through really actually begin to shape the kind of person and morality that Kavoth has. I think a lot of progress is made too in terms of his search for the Shandrian. Yeah. Like his time in Ventus kicks off a whole set of other adventures that would not have happened otherwise and it brings a lot of new information to Kavoth with his time in Adam. It brings a lot of new information with his time with Valurian. He gets some new cool gear and some new skills along the way, but I feel like it's more about the information he gathers and like the different perspectives of people in the world on the Shandrian. That, and I feel like he also kind of has a developmental shift and like we'll explore this as we encounter those passages in the series mm-hmm. but you know the whole part with the false idea maru like i think that is a pinnacle turning point in like who he is as a character i think a lot of it too is when he was at the university it was like a student teacher vibe and now he's out in the world on his own and people are treating him like an adult so he has to adapt to all those changes yeah and it's really cool to see how he interacts yeah so, without further ado, I think it's time to jump right on in. Yep. Today we'll be covering chapters 53 through 59, starting with Kvothe's arrival in Vindus. Chapter 53, The Sheer. I love this whole montage of Kvothe acquiring information. Well, all right. <laughs> Let, let's rewind it. He just got there. He just got there. He survived his um like shipwreck, shipwreck and pirates and all the like, other crazy things. All that crazy stuff at Junpui. And he literally is like wearing the equivalent of like burlap sacks, rags, and the only thing of value he has on him is his uh loot case that kept all his items dry, thankfully, from Denna, which is his introduction letter to the mayor. His loot and his, like... The picture from Nelly of the vase. Yes. The Methuen Farm vase. So he doesn't have really anything left. And even Kavoth says you can't count his clothes as being of any value. So he knows he's got to, like, figure out his financial situation and figure out a way to get to the mayor as fast as possible because that's his ticket to success here. And he can't get to the mayor in the state he's in. And he can't prove himself without getting to the mayor. So... Kind of a catch-22. Yeah, he's in a rough position. And so he makes an interesting point where he was like, although I still have the skills, if need be, from Tarbian to like pickpocket and beg and do all that, Mm -hmm. I'm in a foreign land. I don't know the laws. I don't know the customs. And it is not worth taking the risk knowing nothing. Yeah, like he doesn't know the like the spots that would be good. He doesn't know what people, how aware people are. Like, I feel like there's certain spots in cities where it's like, oh, the tourists go here and like that's where pickpocketing happens or whatever. But he doesn't know where he is. Yeah. And so he that's doesn't a really risky move. Doesn't want to risk it. And, and he's so, in a totally different country now. The only other option he really has, unfortunately, is to pawn off his loot in case. No. 
Kavoth always has such a hard time keeping on to his instruments. It's so tough, especially because the mayor was looking for a musician, so like he obviously is going to need his loot. So to have to trade it away is a like a very very last resort. But he also can't show up looking grubby AF. No. So he pawns the loot and he has 10 days to get it back i think a span it's like about 11 okay so yeah he's saying basically he's got his cash if he does not return to buy his loot uh it will then be forfeit and the pawn shop will probably sell it for like nine times the amount or some ridiculous oh yeah upsell on it yeah so he's really really in a tight spot thankfully he's strategic he uses the money that he gets at first like bathe haircut nice set of threads so at least he looks the part looks the part is clean is tidied up um and then he positions himself at like a little coffee shop Mm. and spends the day people watching and listening to gossip and befriends one of the people at the cafe who ends up helping him out and this part's really cool and it's such a risk where oh it's so risky um in a, in a sense, Kavoth right now is fishing. He's looking for a member of the noble class and nobility that he can kind of quite literally ride their coattails to the mayor's... Right, which we didn't mention, like, the city's built on a huge cliff. Yeah, it's, it's so... called... The chapter title is The Sheer, but where Mayor Alvaron resides is this beautiful, like, fortress on top of, like, a cliff face overlooking the higher end of... The city. Right. So, like, basically, well, all, most of the nobles live at the top of the cliff. And then all of the regular people live at the bottom. And there's some elevator shafts, essentially, that run up and down the side of the cliff. Kind of remind me of a funicular. Okay, yeah, something like that. I'm sure they're just, like, hand-powered. Yeah. Nothing crazy, but it's very much, like, there's already a class division, and then that is class division. Like, they're clearly... The higher class is literally looking down upon the lower class. Yeah, like literally back to Percy Jackson, like, this is Olympus. (laughs) Yeah, so he needs to find someone to help him get up that cliff and into the mayor's palace without getting stopped too soon because he only has one letter of introduction. And if he gets turned away at like the front door, there's no chance of him getting back in. Kavotha is really kind of biding his time trying to figure out who's who. He ends up um, spotting out. Uh, a baronet, so somebody pretty elevated on the social standing of the nobility. And there's a really important aside that is made here that Kavoth talks about how um, back at the university, your status really meant something. However, in Vintus, like, your power and your status gives you privileges way beyond uh, what normal people over towards uh, the Commonwealth would have, where if a Kavot bumped into, you know, a baronet or someone and the baronet knew that he was on a lower social status, he could have Kavot, like, beat up by the uh, the law there and also thrown away in jail for being a public nuisance and there's nothing he could do about it. Right, so it's more so in the Commonwealth, people who have wealth and, and status can have power, if they want to use it, but in Vintus, like, your power kind of puts you above the law in certain situations, and that's just how it is, so he's got to be careful. For sure, and so that's why I really enjoy this section, because 
it's one of Cavill's classic, like, Adimaru training, like, just really good acting and bluffing and just being conniving in a clever way. And I really just enjoy this whole section where we also get a really awesome throwback from one of his interactions over in um, Imre. So Kvothe uh, approaches this baronet and he puts on his game face and is like, you would be doing the mayor a great privilege if you brought me up to his estate. It's such a risky thing to do that to someone because if that guy knows Kvothe is faking, like Kvothe is going to be... Like you said, like you could be beat up or like killed for doing something like that, and no one would question that guy's power. There's some like dire consequences, and so this guy, obviously having no idea who Kavoth is, is like slightly thrown off guard. I think he's also so high up on the social ladder that he's not used to being talked down to. So for someone, especially someone so young, to talk down to him, he's like, "Do I know this person?" Like, what's going on Yeah, here? he's trying to, like, size him up. And so, um, during this little interaction, Kavo throws uh, his ace of spades into the conversation. And it's a really interesting little thing that he experienced firsthand from one of the innkeepers when he was visiting Denna. This dude just Yes, gave... he said he was going to remember that smile and use it again. Yeah, so it's a great callback where he just does, like, this ingratiatingly, like, arrogant... I don't know how to describe it. Like a little smirk, I think. Yeah, it's like a smile, but it says so much more. It's, yeah, it's like a displeased looking smile of like, you better do what I say, or like, I know more than you. So that's what finally breaks this guy. And he's like, okay, I will escort you up to the mayor. And it seems like Kavoth has his in. Yeah. It's really awesome that this kind of worked out, so. <laughs> it's such a, such a ballsy move. So that's how this chapter ends. Um, this baronet is taking Kavoth up to see the mayor. Chapter 54, The Messenger. Kavoth somehow manages to bluff and fast talk all his way up through the majority of the mayor's defenses in like his estate. And just the fact that this baronet guy was with him, I think, kind of disarmed a lot of the residents and working personnel and guards that were at the mayor's estate because somebody so high up on the uh, nobility was like with him right so it's definitely like a golden ticket in but even Kavos says that guy only got him so far so at that point he just leaves him behind yeah he kind of just like thanks wonka for the golden ticket i'm out like bye so <laughs> yeah he's really really pushing to get as far into the mayor as possible and if you think of the mayor being, like, in the center of his court, like, how many layers does he have to get through to get to him? Like, he is just trying to make a beeline all the way in. Thankfully, he spent the afternoon at this, like, cafe learning the gossip and stuff. Because mm -hmm. Kvothom would have made a grave mistake of ignoring this. Essentially, he looked like a grocer or a butler. But he's actually he's uh, like, Mayor Alvaron's, like, personal, like, right-hand like right man. right-hand man, yeah. So uh, this guy is named Stapes. And like Kavos says, he's like very, very plain. And as we come to find out, Stapes has land of his own that Alvaron has given him, but he's not like noble in any means, but he is a very powerful and influential person because he is so close to the mayor. Yes. So it's a good thing Kavos didn't make a mistake and like brush this guy aside because he's the one who's going to get him in. So I think this is when Kavos finally pulls out his letter. Yes, he uh, hands over the letter of introduction. Good thing he held on to it as 
long as he could because i think if he gave it to someone else they would just like be like this guy's a joke throw it away yeah send him away so he makes it all the way in and delivers therapy's letter to stapes and stapes does not look particularly impressed nope and is not pleased that kavoth has not been there was no announcement that he was coming yeah and there's actually a really clever line here where Kavolt even says to Stapes, like, the mayor's expecting me, and Stapes gives him a cool look, making it perfectly clear that if the mayor was expecting him, he would have known about it, like, ten days ago. Yeah, absolutely. So, Threpe should have probably sent a letter ahead, for whatever reason that didn't happen, so Kavolt is saying the mayor's expecting him, but Stapes is not impressed, and he's not really... He can see through Kavolt, I think. Yeah, for sure. But he does agree to deliver the letter, which is good. Um, they bring him forward, and Mary Alvaron, surrounded by Dagon and uh, a couple of his personal guards. Mm-hmm. And it looks like they're just going over, like, typical governmental papers and, like, maps and stuff. Like, nothing particularly exciting. Yeah, but one thing Kavoth does notice is that these guys are, like, legitimately armed, and they're not just, like, ceremonially there. Like, if need be, they can, like, get yeah, some cause... business taken care of. Right, like, you and I have been to, like, Buckingham Palace and stuff. Like, there's ceremonial guards, and then there's real guards. Yeah. And if you're standing next to real guards, and you're Kavoth, don't make a mistake. Mm. <laughs> and so there's a really nice beginning interaction here between Kavoth and the mayor, where he's actually surprised that one Threpe could find somebody on such short notice, and the fact that Kavoth made his way all the way there and mm-hmm. into his estate. I feel like I'd be slightly off-put if someone did that. I'd almost be worried that it was like a spy. Yeah, and I think that was part of it too, where he was like, oh, you got here quick and you're in my palace. Like, why are you so eager? Yeah, and so Kavoth even said like, oh, your letter implied haste. And he was like, you did a, you know impressive job of that. But he's also like, mm. Which is kind of odd too, because Kavoth took longer than expected to get to Ventus due to his like misfortunes getting there right so had he had all things gone well he would have gotten there even sooner and they're already pretty shocked at how quick things are the mayor then kind of goes over some of the details of the introduction letter he was saying that threpe spoke really highly of him and called him a gifted musician and that he was very charming and well-spoken and discreet but he was like oh you seem a bit young though Oh, yeah, remember he says you're, like, what, hardly 20? Yeah, he's like, you're barely past 20, and, like, apparently he's just about to turn 16. Ooh, so young. <laughs> so young, and thankfully, though, apparently his time at sea has, like, tanned him, and he's lost weight, so he's looking a little, uh... Lean and mean. Yeah. Yeah, I think he looks a little older. He doesn't have any baby fat left. Right. Not that he would have after Tarbian anyway. No. But it helps him look a little older, so he just doesn't comment back on his age, which is a good move there. The mayor then asks him if he's found lodging in the city, and he says, you know, he hasn't made any arrangements, or he doesn't have any luggage because of a shipwreck, and so... Yeah. The mayor kind of sets him up for success. He gets a nice set of rooms and a whole wardrobe Yeah, the mayor's mayor. very generous, and I know they said he's, like, rich as the king of Vint, but it is bonkers to me that he would just like clothe and house a stranger at his own cost for no return right now yeah for sure he's really in a good situation despite the fact that now he's just kind of playing the waiting game yeah he does mention that his rooms are like 
extravagant and lavish and big, but he is kind of trapped in them. Yeah. And it's similar to when he talks about, like, you want the shoe that fits, you want the room that fits. So he feels like they're too large, and because he doesn't have his loot to pass the time, it's extra lonely and boring in there. Chapter 55, Grace. So Kaboth has definitely spent a little bit of time in the mayor's court at this point. Not, not too long, because obviously he hasn't lost his loot yet, but he's been there a couple of days. He's got his clothes from the mayor, which is very nice, and in this chapter he is going to see the mayor in the gardens. And at first he thinks the mayor's kind of plain and underdressed. Like he's not wearing jewels or like very extravagant outfits the way that other nobles do. But what he does start to notice is that the mayor wears like perfectly tailored brand new clothes all the time. So that means he only wears his clothes two or three times before getting rid of them and getting new ones. And that's actually like a very... It's a subtle statement flex. way, yeah. Like, it's not in your face, but it is very powerful at the same time. And I think that's a good reflection on who the mayor is. He's kind of a down-to-earth person. Like, he doesn't want, like, the big flashy stuff. He's very rigid, I think, but very, very strategic and very logical. So I think his clothes are a good reflection of his character in this case. Mm, I like that. I never even considered the, the comparison. I like that. Well, if you think of, like, Ambrose, who always has, like, big feathered hats and, like, rich velvet jackets, like, it's very showy, mm. whereas this one's a very different type of power in his clothes. Yeah, a subtle display of wealth. Yeah. So, Kvothe goes to see Mayor Alvaron, who's sitting in the garden, and it appears that Mayor Alvaron has invited him to discuss something, to meet. I think it's, to... yeah, pretty much just to get a vibe check and see who he is. Yeah, Kvothe doesn't really know why he's there, so he just has this invitation to see him in the garden. Alvaron says that he hopes Kvothe has taken some time to see the gardens, but Kvothe says he hasn't had the time yet, and I think he feels fairly confined to his rooms because... I think the mayor kind of knows that, too, in a way. I think he's wondering how much free reign Kvothe is taking. Like, if he's just helping himself to checking things out, or if he's, like, sitting put and waiting to be called upon. And I think that's also part of the test, too, to see how patient he is. It, a lot of the stuff in the next couple chapters is, like, testing Kvothe's patience and his willingness to be available for the mayor. And I think Kvothe, thankfully, is really smart about it and just, like, sits in his room despite being bored and, like, comes every time the mayor calls, even if it's in the middle of the night. So he's doing a very, very good job of... Playing the game. Yes. Um, so one thing he notices is that... The mayor is actually sick. At first, he thought he was old, but he's weak. He uses a walking stick. And when he looks at his face, he's not actually nearly as old as he thought. Yeah. Um, Which really surprises him. He just didn't know. He just thought he was like an older gentleman. Right. The mayor offers to take Kvothe around the gardens, and he goes to stand up, and he's like shaky. So Kvothe offers him his arm, and the mayor... Sometimes in books, people are like, I'm too proud to take help or whatever. But the mayor is very humble. And I think that's what also makes him a good leader. Um, accepts Kvothe's help. And they're walking around the converse, or walking around the garden together, just having a little conversation about the statues and the fountains and the hedges and the birds and like their, their surroundings. And what's really interesting is that everyone who they walk by is very interested who Kavoth is. So yeah. people are kind of introducing themselves or like look doing double takes. Like, is he a stranger? Is he an ambassador? 
Is he some a noble from a different land? Is he an illegitimate son? Right. So there's lots of rumor, which is nothing new for Kavoth. No. But there's all these rumors swirling around him. And the mayor asks Kavoth to keep his information about himself like pretty close to the chest. Like he doesn't want people knowing why Kavoth's there, who he is. And Kavoth says he absolutely would do that. At that point, the mayor gets too sick to go any further. So he walks... Kavoth walks him back to the rooms. So that's kind of the end of their conversation. So Kavoth just ends up sitting in his rooms and he's pretty bored. He mentions again he misses his loot. He looks at a tapestry, which uses up half an hour. So he's just like really it's just killing tough. time. Yeah. He's so bored. Because it's like and you're the- playing the game, but you're understimulated. And also like you can't go anywhere. You can't talk to anyone. So you're just kind of in limbo. Right. He can't write to anyone. And I think the worst thing is he knows he now, the mayor has given him clothes and a room. He could always sell his clothes in exchange for his loot. And he thinks of that as like a very last resort. Yeah. Um, Which I actually thought of too when he got those clothes. I was like, oh, do like a little trade, get your loot back. You're all good to go. Yeah, it's an insurance policy, so to speak. But it seems like no one's told him no, but it seems like he doesn't have permission to leave right now. So he's stuck where he is. That and he would permanently burn a bridge with the, oh, yeah, by selling his clothes would be like... With the mayor, the with Threp, like, game over. Right, especially with Threpe too. So, Kavoth is playing the long game because he really wants the mayor as his patron. So he decides to just sit tight and wait. One thing he notices by waiting and observing is how much the rumors are swirling, and he's saying it's actually pretty entertaining because it's like watching stories being born. Which, again, is a primary theme of these books. Right. So I'm sure tons of rumors about Kavoth exist in Vintus now that he is Coat. It's probably like the same as anywhere. There's all sorts of incorrect information about him and incorrect stories. But yeah, he's just watching it all happen. That's cool. Chapter 56. Power. It's maybe a couple days later. Oh, I'm sorry. It's the next day from their first conversation in the gardens and... Ugh, time is ticking, like, slowly, but also going too fast, and I'm so concerned about his loot. I know. I was very concerned. And so, um, again, they are walking the gardens, and there's a very interesting little aside here that the mayor points out, which is the Salus flowers. Right, which are the ones that way back, I think in Name of the Wind... Kavoth mentions are the flowers that he compares Denna to. Yeah, and apparently they're hard to cultivate. Um, however, they're very fragrant and they're pretty and very soft. And I think a lot of people, they're because they're blooming now, a lot of people seem to be coming to the garden to look at the Salus flowers. Yes. Because they come up in conversation a few times. Kavoth and the mayor have a really interesting conversation here about the chapter title, Power, and the different aspects and perspectives of power. Um, They talk a lot about um, inherent power and granted power. I think this is a really interesting conversation. And it's more than just a surface conversation. The mayor is also trying to see how Kavoth's mind works and his experiences of life kind of like affect how he sees things. Yeah, I mean, I think a philosophical question is a good way to get to know a person. Um, Mm. If you want to know how they think and i think it's also a measure of if he thinks kavoth will bend to his power too agreed so the two different types of power that they discuss are the 
uh, granted power, which is like power given to you by someone or something else. So um, that can be like social power or economic power. And it has no limits, but it can be taken away at any time, essentially. Yep. So like you could lose all your money or like your government could fall if you're like the king or people could decide they're not going to follow you anymore or etc. Um, and what was the other one? Inherent. Inherent power is like power from within your own body. So that's like your skills and your strength. Yep. And which so... obviously is limited, but nobody can take those from you. In essence. Right. I mean, you can always become injured or old or sick. Right. And so that's what they, you know, have a conversation about. And obviously, Kavoth being a Demaroon, never having any social power, I guess is a good way to describe it. Mm-hmm immediately gravitates his thought process to saying the greater of the two would be inherent because one can always improve themselves, learn, develop, and grow. I think what's also interesting is this is an old man and a young man having a conversation. Kavoth picks the one that's your own internal strength because he's in the prime of his life. And the mayor picks the other one because he's frail and sickly and he's only powerful because of granted power like if you had no granted power and was frail and sickly like his life would be very very different right they kind of go back and forth on how each type of power can benefit one through different scenarios and so in the end kavoth in a way concedes to the mayor's thought process of an of granted power being absolute but i don't think he ever says that it's better no. I, Which I think this is also another thing the mayor is trying to determine is if Kavoth just agrees with him. Right. And so. Or if he's a. will think for himself. Yeah. It's not like he's a kiss ass. He's just kind of like. Yeah. He can say, like, I respect and, like, commend your argument and you make a compelling one. But this is what I think based yeah. on my experiences. And so there is a really interesting point here where even the mayor says within Heron power with himself is like, you know, he could take away other nobles' powers. His, his own, you know, granted power in a way could be taken away. But the fact is, I recognize that, and that's how I never lose, in a, in essence. I mean, I think it's like with great power comes great responsibility, right? Like, if yeah. you abuse your granted power, people are going to rebel against you eventually. Right. Like, he could take away nobles' powers, but then he'll have a bunch of angry nobles on his hand. Like, what are you going to do? I think that's why he's i don't know i think he's a very good and fair ruler and i think that's why he makes such a good character because he's like i said he's humble he's logical but he's also thinks about like the source of his power and doesn't just see it as like a granted right to him and it's almost like a social compact or bargaining yeah like his people i like that I think it really does a good job of demonstrating the responsibility behind it. And it's not just that naive perspective of, I'm the king, I can do whatever I want. Because, like, no, that's how you get rebellions and revolts. Right. And I feel like that's a lot of fantasy books. Is like there's always a king that just, like, is too indulgent or too greedy. And then people get really upset. And they're like, well, I'm the king, I can do whatever I want. And then that's the beginning of all the conflict. Yes. As they continue to walk. The mayor says that he basically has to go take his medicine from uh, Codicus, his, um, I don't want to say wizard. No, but... he's his court arcanist. Yeah, I was going to say. So like... a lot of arcanists, when they finish at the university, end up serving in noble houses. Yeah, like a court appointment or whatever. Right, which is interesting that he's here in Vintus because Kavoth mentions that a lot of people are pretty superstitious of people trained at the university if they're from Vintus. So I'm surprised there's 
arcanists this far east mm. serving in the court. I think it makes sense, though, and someone of a position of high power because because they're superstitious, for better and worse, they would want to mm. be able to have That's powerful allies. True. You make a good point. And so he basically then states how he needs to take his medicine and he doesn't like to, and so he <laughs> poured his previous day's dose in, like, the chamber pot. And so Kavoth, trying to be helpful, says, oh, you know, the your grace should be mindful of your health. I'm kind of glad he says this mm-hmm. because, again, it's a little against the grain, but it's not just Kavoth blindly just being like, yeah, don't take your medicine or like being like, too agreeable. Agreeing. Yeah, and brown nosing it. Yeah. I almost feel like it is a generally polite statement, though. Like, oh, you should... Be careful of your health. Like yeah, and obviously with his university training, he has um a high respect for um any physiker or right. physician. So it seems to him that he would just tell him to take his medicine. Yeah. It's also kind of cool because by the end of the episode, Kavoth has completely turned around and is saying, "Do not take that medicine. It's actually poison." I think had Kavoth not initially said, "Take your medicine," and then changed his mind and said, "It's poison." Like, if he had said nothing and then all of a sudden said it's poison, I think it would have been the mayor too sketchy. would have felt it was sketchy. Yeah. Kids, sketchy. Back to you. <laughs> Back to you. Like, he showed up fast. He has no belongings and no possessions. He has this letter from Threpe, but, like, that could easily be stolen or forged. And then if he said your trusted person is poisoning you, like, it, I don't know. It just seems like it could be yeah. a, a recipe for disaster. Exactly. He- Due to the fact that, you know, Kavoth kind of gently prods the mayor to being like, do what you're supposed to. He's like, you overstep yourself, but you're right, of course. And, like, I think there's almost like a begrudging respect a little bit. I think a little bit. It's good that he's so – I think he's just strict on, like, courtly manners. Mm. But he is very, like, kind of old school with his – the way the mayor looks at, like, titles and Mm. stuff like that. So Kavoth's just not used to that. Because he's a demiru, but also because of the university and being in the Commonwealth, that's a lot less important. And I think here it's very like for manners, it's very, very important to follow those protocol. Yeah, I mean, even here, um, they walk by a couple and this woman by the name of Lady Hesua, like Mm -hmm. she clearly kind of has a rough reputation of, you know, being flirtatious and kind of making her rounds from other men. Mm -hmm. And so someone made a comment and her dad like literally dueled this dude to the death over it. Yeah. so So it's like very important. So I think that was a really nice way they shoehorned in right after Kavoth made that comment of how like you say the wrong thing here, you're gonna like pay for it. Yeah, so he needs to, like, check himself. I think that was actually very cleverly tucked in there, mm-hmm. as far as, like, the passage is concerned. And so then they continue on to say how the mayor's frustrated, where it seems like for years now he's been taking different uh, remedies and potions and medicine to combat his long-term illness. Right. And so... And nothing's really working i think he said he did get better for like a year at one point and he thought he'd turn the corner and now he's getting worse yeah and so kavoth then says and many people would argue that it's just like a filler statement but he's like if there was any way i could help you i would and the mayor's kind of like you know it's weird i almost believe you how extraordinary Ugh, but like he does mean it i think yeah he wants to help because 
he wants the mayor to help him in the long run, but I think he also really respects and likes the mayor. Yeah, it's not just more like, again, more brown-nosing or trying to ride the mayor's coattail, like, fame and fortune, so to speak. Right. I mean, I feel like it's like when you emptily say to someone, like, feel better. Yeah, versus, versus like, like, genuinely, like, I really wish I could help. Like, those yeah. are two totally different things. Kaboth has put himself completely at the mayor's disposal, but that doesn't mean he necessarily cares about the mayor, and I think that's the first time the mayor sees Kavoth actually care for his well-being, even though they're strangers to each other. After this conversation, Kavoth is just kind of realizing that he's being put to the test to see if the mayor can trust him mm-hmm. and get a feel for who Kavoth is as a person. Yeah. Now, they're just beginning to form a civil relationship as far as, like, not quite mutual respect, but... There's something going on. The beginning of a friendship, so to speak. I think, unfortunately, Kavoth knows the clock is ticking. Yes. And he needs it to happen in, what, like, ten days now? Yeah. It's, like, pretty quick. He needs to get some finances from the mayor, and... Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, he's constantly in a very, very tight spot. But yeah. things are looking like they're going well. The mayor likes him and, thankfully, like called upon him pretty quickly after his arrival he could have made him sit around for like a month before he got oh to him. yeah it could have just been like collecting dust on a shelf yeah and now he's talked to him two times so like things are on the up and up oh for sure and speaking of which other people are quite interested in kavoth too oh yes they are chapter 57 a handful of iron kavoth is now on his fourth day in severin and he's doing the horrible thing where you just have nothing going on so he's counting his time by meals so he's like i already ate breakfast and there's hours to lunch and that's clearly all he has to look forward to lately yeah however though he's had a lot of visitors of nobility yes so he's already had three people today come by to try to get information out of him and he keeps giving them these like almost pun like answers he gives examples of the questions they're asking him so one is like what about your parents? And he goes, oh, yes, actually, I had them, too, in fact. Or, like, what brings you to Severin? A coach brought me. Yeah, like, and a little walking, too. Yeah, they're, good... like, dad jokes almost. Yeah, just being a little shit. And it's really funny because they're clearly trying to glean information, but the sad truth is Kavolt doesn't even know what he's there for yet. He doesn't know what he's there for, and the mayor warned him to keep information about himself close, so yeah. he's not giving away anything. It's probably good that he doesn't know why he's there because he genuinely can't answer anyone then. So this guy, Lord Pravik, keeps coming by. He sounds like he's come by multiple times. Kavot does his best at sending them away, and thankfully his answers are so stupid that nobody wants to come back and talk to him anymore. Yeah. So they're kind of writing him off. It gets him a little free time. But the worst part is that he is just waiting. Yeah. So the... Mayor calling for him is the only other thing that's, like, exciting. So he says, it's now the fourth day. So far, they've had uh, a light lunch together, three walks in the garden, and once late at night. Um, and then two t- two more times, his runner woke him from a very sound sleep very, very early in the morning, like, pre-dawn. Alvaron is testing him to see if he is available at any time and at any hour for his reasons, whatever they may be. And you know, for mere reasons. <laughs> um, so Kvothe's just like playing the game. Like he's being polite, he's coming every time, he's being prompt. 
And then the rest of the time, he's just sitting in his room with nothing to do. Yeah. Thank goodness. Day four, he gets a knock on the door and he's all like hopped up and he's like, ah, yeah, the mayor's calling me. He opens the door and there's an old man there. Also, I love this whole situation. Like the fact that um, it's this character, Brayden. Right. And he has basically like a servant uh, bring a table and chairs into Cavill's room and like sets it up like without any heads up or anything. He doesn't even introduce himself. He goes, oh, you're Cavoth, are you? And then he like comes in, has them rearrange the room and they get all kind of like settled in after this like hubbub. And then finally he's like, okay, I'm Brayden. Do you know how to play this game called Tag? And that's the whole introduction that he provides. <laughs> and I love this because this is subtly also kind of a test tactic and almost like attack move where tactic ha but um (laughs) yeah just trying to kind of get kavoth off-centered in a way and glean how kavoth operates Mm -hmm. well even kavoth is saying like this is a new strategy if he's trying to get gossip out of me at the very least he's brought a game so like that's a good distraction like i'll entertain the notion yeah this guy is very well-dressed He's definitely got the air of nobility and has, like, been born into nobility. So he's been part of the court for a very long time. And he is described as old, but not, like, elderly. So he's getting up there. And what's interesting is that Kavoth mentions that his colors are ash gray and a dark charcoal. Yes. Which is one of the main reasons that a lot of people think that Brayden might be Dennis' patron, Master Ash. Yeah, I think they're actually pretty interesting. Um, in addition to the mention of, you know, the ashen-colored clothing, mm-hmm. he comes from nobility. Also, strangely enough, there's a passage in which... He talks about how people have rumors about him that he does, like, some strange kind of, like, oh, rituals, pagan rituals in, in the, the woods. woods. He also travels a lot, and it appears that he... It hasn't happened yet, but Denna is also in... Severin right now. We mm. don't, Kvothe doesn't know that, and we as readers are not privy to that yet, but Denna is also there, and when she disappears, it appears that Brayden also disappears. So, like, there are periods where Kvothe is at the mayor's court where neither of them are there, or both of them are there, but it's never one or the other. Right. Which is very interesting. There's and also a there's, passage from the Cathay. Yes, yeah, so this is probably the most ambiguous passage, in my opinion, which is that the Cathay farther down the line in the books, mentions to Kavoth that Denna's patron beats her. And some people take that to mean that he might be beating her at the game tack. But then the next line the Cathay says is that she has bruises all over her. Um, It's like bruises the size of something. I don't know. Um, So obviously playing a board game would not result in bruises. So some people think that Brayden might be training her in some sort of martial art or combat. And one of the things that the Cathay says is, oh, he used his walking stick or cane this time. That was new. That's right. Yes, and Brayden, um, in this section, Kvothe notices that Brayden has a walking stick whose, like, handle is the head of a wolf. Yeah, like a snarling wolf. Right. So there are a lot of weird parallels there. I don't know if it's enough concrete information to glean it being a connection to being Dennis' patron, but it is interesting enough to want to speculate i think what could end up being the case in these books is that we might say like oh dennis patron and master ash are the same 
and the Shandrian are a separate group, and the Amir are a separate group, but, like, there are probably characters that might be multiple people. Mm. Like, what if Brayden is then his patron, but also a Shandrian? Like, something like that, you know what I mean? Like, if someone has multiple identities and we're interpreting them all as being separate. Yeah. So, there's always that possibility. Oh, yeah. Come book three, I feel like so many predictions are going to be interconnected and be in a way that we weren't expecting. Like, right. I, I can't even remember. Maybe it was back to the fan theory episode or we mentioned it in a, another one on top of it. But the point that you had made that down the line, Kavoth owning the sword Folly and everything else, that he ends up becoming a Shandrian in silence being like his it's, sign. Right. I just, I have a gut feeling with that. Like I feel I, like that one makes sense to me. I'm still very, I don't know, I can I can be easily swayed on the different theories of who Dennis Patron is just because there's so little evidence and a lot of people grasp at stuff. Um, so like even in, I think, the next chapter, Kavoth is talking to the mayor and two times during the conversation they mention the word ash. It's very specific language and Patrick Rothfuss is always deliberate. It's very intentional. So like how many red herrings are there? How mm. many people are the same people how many people have multiple different identities that we may not have connected yet so it's very complicated um but there is a potential that brayden is dennis patron so as we read through let's definitely keep our eyes peeled for clues yes so yes brayden is here uh sitting at this little game table situation he's <laughs> homeboy barges into kavolt's room is like you like checkers <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I mean, Patrick Roth has developed Tack into a game now, so yeah. you can purchase it. Uh, I don't know how you play it, but I love the description of it. Simple in its rules, complex in its strategy. Yes. Um, but before they get to the game, Brayden asks Kavoth to see some of his rings. And this is something that Threpe informed Kavoth about before he got to Vintus, this yeah. whole custom of rings. So in the Vintage court, the way that you meet with someone is you send them a ring ahead of your meeting and you send a gold ring to someone of higher status than you silver of equal status or iron to someone lower than you and because nobody knows what Kavoth's status is they've all been sending him iron rings and so it's a very complicated kind of thing because at first it would just you would think it would be based on your rank but at the end of the chapter there's a conundrum because Brayden doesn't tell Kavoth his rank so he's like Oh, if you send me gold, you assume I'm above you. If you send me silver, it's awfully presumptuous. Then to you think. assume you're the same rank as me. And if you send me iron, then that's an insult. Yes, potentially, depending on how important Kavoth is. So, like, which on top of it is really kind because Brayden first informs Kavoth of etiquette, of how to display your rings and what it kind of signifies like if you leave it all jumbled in a bowl it shows that you don't care for better or for worse right if you leave them all spread out and organized are you like really into the politics and currying status if you wear somebody else's ring like what does that mean yeah are you are indebted you, to them are you trying to curry favor with them are you trying to get their attention so it's a lot more complicated than you'd think and the best part is that Braden says like i'm going to assume that you know all this but i'll just say it out loud and you don't have to say one way or the other if you know and Kavoth acts like he already knew everything so not to pl like show his cards essentially yeah they're definitely both on the same page of knowing Kavoth doesn't know but trying to do it in a very polite way 
also super kind. He gives Kavoth a whole set. Yeah, so nice of him because Kavoth didn't have any to summon anyone with. Not yeah. that he was going to summon anyone before anyway. And there's also the other kind of, like, not rule, but uh, Braden was talking about, like, I like Kavoth goes, oh, if people send you iron rings, it means you're low status. And he's like, well, what if you have an iron ring from the mayor? Like, the mayor is the highest. Of course, all the rings he's going to send are going to be iron but if you have an iron ring from someone of that high status that's actually more important than like silver rings so it's just very complicated yeah each ring has its own kind of message to be interpreted which is actually a really interesting custom and i'm glad that that was part of like the social court in um yeah it's very different culture yeah yeah they make vintage court society kind of different which is neat and you're supposed to offer to return someone's ring at the end. So yes. they can either offer to leave it or take it back. Um, so that's a whole other complicated political game. Yeah, you're supposed to leave them out on display so people can look through them. So Braid wants to look through. He sees that all of the best gossipy people have been coming to see Kavoth. Yes. And that includes Lord Pravak two times. So he's really been trying to weasel some information out. And what's kind of interesting is that... Braden says that he used to be really into like all of this, but now that he's older and doesn't have any as much desire for like courtly gossip and intrigue and he's not searching for anything, he's not really as interested in it, but he just wants to He says he's play not, a but game. I feel like yeah, he does know it and I feel like obviously tack is part of the allegory because Right, it's all st- like strategy. Yeah, because he, as much as he says he's removed from the court politics, he's like, I know everyone's seen, come to see you and nobody knows anything. Right. So and then like, he leaves Kavoth a silver ring, I believe. Yeah. So that's... He's marking really... him as an equal or... Right. And we don't know how important or powerful Brayden is or what other people think of him. Mm. Um. So when other people see Brayden's ring, Kavoth's bowl, like one silver ring... Amongst their iron rings, it's like, oh, did we insult Kavoth by sending iron? So, yeah. Like, you can play other people, not yes. even involved. It's very, very interesting. Yes. The mayor, according to Brayden, does not waste his time with fools. So he thinks that Kavoth probably stands in the mayor's good grace. And so he wants to be part of, like, Kavoth's rising star, essentially. And, like, if Kavoth gets close to the mayor, Brayden will tag along and if not no worries nothing happens yeah or so he says because he does make a reference of well if you find yourself in a position of power with the mayor i may cash in a favor one day which is odd because it's almost played off the fact that like he's an old and powerful noble who should be close to the mayor yeah. he's not according to this not only that but the very first time i read that i was like oh neat and then I thought about it. I'm like, why does he want to get close to the mayor? No. Why does he want to be able to cash in a favor with a connect that powerful? What he doesn't t- necessarily say that, but he says he finds himself with a useful friend, referring to Kavoth, if Kavoth gets close to the mayor. Yeah, like I feel like at that point he would cash in like a really large request. Probably. I don't think Kavoth interprets it that way, and it's probably to his detriment because he's going to get stuck getting asked to do something he might not want to do exactly especially if so um, Brayden was so helpful for well, so long Brayden is master ash and a shandrian somehow maybe Ooh, that too. don't know and we know that 
According to the Cathay, the mayor brings Kvothe very close to the Amir. Would Braden want to get close to the mayor because he's close to the Amir? You know what would be an interesting thought, too? Because mm-hmm. we were talking about multiple identities being for the same character. Right. What if, and it's a stretch, but Braden's character mm-hmm. being Cinder. Okay. Also being the leader of the bandits. I think Cinder is the leader of the bandits, right? Yes. But I mean, also at one point is impersonating this character, Brayden. Oh. Because we were talking about multiple people or uh, multiple characters uh, sharing the same identity. Right. I would be kind of surprised that this character, Brayden, then knows so much about like the people of the court then if he's not a real person. I mean, being like, a shapeshifter, you're going to learn a lot. I guess so. I mean, it's it's a, it's a stretch. I'm not saying it holds a lot of weight. It would just be an interesting concept. Like, he would go around court, learning around the tax divisions and things like that, then learn how to inter- intercept the tax collectors as a bandit leader. I mean, that's a very big stretch. Ooh. But just an f- interesting thought to entertain. I just feel like if you wanted to learn that information why would you impersonate yourself as like an old noble who's supposed to have been at court for a long time maybe not part of their court for a long time maybe he traveled from outside the region maybe but yeah oh it's so confusing i know there's always so much to speculate that one's a stretch i don't think it holds a lot of weight but it was just an interesting concept do we ever know Braden's like family name nope i don't think there's a last name that's ever (sighs) announced because that would be really helpful Mm -hmm. well Anyway, he and Kvothe get to playing tack, and as Kvothe says, it's mostly a strategy game. They play five games, and he loses every single game, but he's very proud of the fact that he loses in a different way every time, so he's not making the same mistakes, Mm. and I really like that. It's almost kind of similar to chess, where there's like different move names, so Brayden tells him that Kvothe tried to do something called a Brooker's Fall, and jokingly makes the statement that um, when he got away from it, he calls that Brayden's defense. Yeah. So, unfortunately, Brayden has to leave after the fifth game. He has not enough time to play because he has an unavoidable appointment, which he does not say what it is. And it's actually after the game that he goes through all the different kind of etiquette surrounding the rings, like displaying Mm. it in a bowl versus on your hand versus like laid out nicely. So, all different kinds of things. And this is when... He gives Kvothe the rings. Brayden says, now you can summon me if you want to play tack again. Yeah. So it's very kindly. And I he's establishing really, a really friendship. hope that Brayden is not a bad guy deep down because he's so sweet. Charming. <laughs> I don't want him to be tricking Kvothe into doing things. This is when we kind of get the complications of like, what ring would he send Brayden? Yes. So... Eventually, Kavoth decides to send him a silver ring um, a couple of days later, and uh, he sends it to Brayden and with the note, at your leisure, my rooms, and Brayden comes and plays tack with them, and this kind of continues back and forth, and he's just kind of really settling into this friendship with Brayden, despite the fact that he's really, really waiting for his loot and for the mayor to make some kind of explanation as to why he's there but at least he's got a friend now or someone who's acting like a friend and a game to play and he's pretty actually delighted to see that little bit of silver amongst all the iron in his bowl so he's not normally one for status and courtliness but 
Kvothe is a little bit pleased with himself. Yeah, he's he's building a rapport and reputation. Chapter 58, Courting. We've had a little bit of a lull in activity between Kvothe and the mayor. He had not been called upon in uh, two days. No! And he's starting to almost give in to some paranoia thoughts. He's like, you know, is this something I said? Had I offended him? Was Alvaron just testing my patience? You know, I don't want to call upon him because that could be me proving that I'm not being patient enough. Right. And I feel like that's like that classic, like, do you call? Do you not call? Yeah, <laughs> it's like the three-day rule, yeah. Yeah, it's silly. He was just kind of like killing time and he was like going through his mental options, you know, wondering what he should do. Um, Stapes actually knocks on his door and is like, the mayor would like to see you. And every other time it's just been like a runner or like a footman. So for Stapes to summon Kvothe, it's pretty important. So seems like the worth the wait was worth it. When he goes into the mayor's rooms, which I don't think he's ever been in before. It's uh, it's stated that the mayor doesn't really see people in his rooms. Yeah. So for Kvothe to be invited in there is like a pretty big... It's a big deal. ...jump of trust. If, like, nobody goes in there. Yes. And so, immediately sees that the mayor is just looking completely worn down. He's sitting in bed. He's looking weak and shaky and pale and just yeah, not very well. sick. And so, he asks Kavoth, he's like, how old do you think I am? Oh, no. What and, a tricky question to Oh, such a loaded question on so many different levels. Right. And so Kavoth decides after debating for a long while, just to right. be honest. He's like flattery or Cause he's a like, lie. Yeah. He decides to go with honesty. And so he says 51. The mayor's only 40. Yes. Which is so, nuts. Because that's like basically 10 years older than me. People in their 40s don't look old. No. That's not old. People in their 50s don't really even look that old. But the difference, I think, between 40 and 50 especially for men if you go like graying is like can be pretty different yeah and i think that's the difference between like young adult and like middle-aged yeah for sure so that sucks the mayor is definitely disappointed and says never ask a young person yeah to guess how old you are however he did say that kavoth was being someone could argue that kavoth was being generous yeah so he might look even older and so he was saying, basically, it's really sad when your body fails you at a young age. It is really sad. Yeah, 40? Like, that's nothing. Especially as, like, you're supposed to be a powerful ruler on top of that. And, like, mm. your body's just weak and shaky. And, like, sometimes he can't walk on his own. And now he's bedridden. And there's no clear path to recovery. Like, he's just chronically ill. I think at this moment, because he's been feeling like crap for a couple of days and, like, he's just fed up. He basically is saying, I've been lax in one regard. I have no family or no heir. Mm -hmm. And so Kavoth kind of... Do you think he thinks he's going to die? Maybe. I feel like that's the kind of stuff people say when when they're like, I have one regret or like, there's one thing yeah. I didn't do. Like, you think you're going to die. Kavoth says like, do you mean to take a wife? And so he's like, the mayor kind of gets like haughty. He's like, oh, so, you know, the rumors have really finally come around. Kavoth was basically... Um, saying, although there is like a ton of rumor, which I do love the pun that he says a court load. Yeah. Um, it wasn't about that. Most of the rumors are about himself, Kvothe. Yeah. And so, um, he's basically saying how the courts, everyone sees him as a bachelor, but 
um, from the conversations they had, he kind of gleaned the possibility. I also feel like if you say, like, there's one thing I didn't do, I didn't have a family. Like, that's a pretty obvious next step of, like, are you going to? Mm -hmm. So the mayor's obviously very sensitive about this subject and very secretive. He definitely has some intentions to marry a very specific person. Yes. Um, but does not want them getting out to the court. And that's why he was so nervous. Both had heard it through gossip. Right. And so there's actually a really interesting part here because there's a lot of like noble women. However, some belong to the jurisdiction of the king. King Roderick. Yeah. And so there's like a whole part about that where if he were to marry someone within Roderick's domain, then his power gets split. Right, so and there... like Ventus is its own independent, is it its own country? Does Roderick rule over more than the Commonwealth? I'm very confused. Yeah, sometimes. I'm not quite sure how the the kingdom divides its power and territory. Okay. At this point, Kavoth asks the mayor, like, like how, how many, many women are beyond the king's control, and of the, your status, and who you actually are fond of. Answer is one. One. So, gotta, gotta play your cards right, buddy. Yes, and so, there's a really sad part with all this, because he's like, you know, I do care for her, and I, he finds her beautiful and intelligent and worthy of admiration. However, he doesn't but want he his knows... position to, like, buy her. Right, and he also knows that she has, like, lots and lots of men trying to get her attention. He's like, why would she ever pay attention to, like, a sick man? Yeah. Like, what do I have to yeah. offer? And he's very defeated and he's I feeling think, completely deflated is this the moment that Kavo says this is the first time he's ever felt bad for like someone of the nobility yes so you gotta know he's hurting yeah and so uh there's a really nice line here where he says would you marry a woman you had bought and Kavoth looks down and just says like no your grace yeah because Kavoth's like oh you're powerful enough you could just get her yeah and, like, and the mayor is even like no it's disgusting and so i like this part because then Kvothe, in these certain moments, becomes dangerously candid with the mayor. And so he's like, you know, what would you have me do? Like, sing songs? Um, write poems? Do you want me to pretend to be you and whisk her away dancing? Do you want me to leave her flowers on a balcony overnight? Like, part of it is trying to be playful, but he's actually, like, genuinely like, dude, like, what do you how want? How can I help? What do you want me to do? Yeah. I think both at this point has put one and two together that this is the reason the mayor needed like a well-spoken and discreet person, but he might also just be offering any help he can because he wants the mayor as his patron and he wants to stay in his good graces. But the mayor, despite Kavoth's jokes, says like, I was thinking you could maybe write her some letters, like mm -hmm. start with the basics here. He agrees to do it, but the mayor makes Kavoth not... Like, swear to not talk about this to anyone. Um, but he does need Kavoth to get more information about her family so he understands where she's coming from. So he, I think, recommends that Kavoth go talk to Codicus, the alchemist. Yes. Um, and sends him also to get his medicine at the same time. Yep. And then um, Kavoth even asks him, like, does Codicus know about any of this? He's like, no, do not speak of this to anyone. Invent some reason for your inquiries and fetch my medicine. And then at this point, as Kavos walking away, the mayor is kind of like rambling in a confused, medicated stupor. Chapter 59, Purpose. This chapter is a great one to end the episode on because it has a great cliffhanger end and a lot of like 
intense things happen in it. But it starts with Kavoth going to Codicus's r- rooms, mm. um, which are located in a tower, I believe, and which is really cool. Oh, yeah. Super cool. I drove past an apartment complex today that had a tower, and there were, like, apartments in the tower, and just looked really cool. <laughs> so. Oh, yeah. No, like, I think the way it's written perfectly encapsulates the theme of uh in arcanist's chambers in a royal court apartment so it's a grand and lavish and has uh interesting like trinkets and odds and ends yeah it's got like weird glass and like when kavoth goes in there's a stuffed alligator hanging from the ceiling yeah it's just weird like it's a almost reminds you of like a like a victorian like curiosity cabinet or something like something weird so kavoth does make his way over there and he plays it so friggin smart i was so impressed with him on this whole thing i think he decides spur of the moment to make certain choices about how he's gonna play his character and he plays every single moment of this conversation correctly yeah i I was so clever so blown away because i'm an idiot where i'd be like if it were me Oh, dude, fellow Arcanist, what's up, man? Let's talk shop. And then, like, right? That's sabotage what I like myself. I done. So, Kavoth decides to not make it obvious he's an Arcanist. No, if anything, the the opposite. He completely, he, like, like feigns ignorance. He pretend he's, like, a stupid, like, lordling. Mm-hmm. Uh, very ignorant. So, like, the first thing he says when he goes in is, like, he sees the alligator and goes, Oh, is that a dragon? Yeah. Like, he's really hamming it up. But it's all to flatter Codicus and also, like, not make him feel threatened by Kavoth that, like, a young, new Arcanist has shown up at the court. Yes. Because, obviously, Codicus wants to keep his position. He pretends that he is there to... Well, first, Codicus tries to send him away because he's like, I don't make love potions. Like, go away, young yes. young man. Leave me alone. Um, but Kavoth says he's there for the mayor's medicine and also there because he's writing a history of noble families. And at first, Codicus is like, ugh, a genealogy, like, so boring. But Kavoth essentially implies that he's collecting, like, gossipy stories. Yes. And Codicus perks right up, and he's like, oh, yeah. And Kavoth is so smart, he uses a lot of flattery, saying things like, I think you are, like, a bit of an authority on old families. Like, that's what I've heard. Like, your reputation precedes you for this. So, really making Codicus feel much more powerful yeah and influential yes very good word so they get talking and kavoth mentions that he is interested in the lackless family and that's uh melo and lackless the woman that the mayor wants to marry Mm. so he's just trying to get some background information and at the same time codicus is mixing the mayor's medicine so there's two things happening at once there's the conversation and then kavoth is paying attention to what he's mixing up yes from the conversation, we do find out that a lot of uh, old families have, like, relics, but the yes. Lackless family has a very specific relic. And this is the first time we've heard of the Lackless door. Yes. And it's a key player, I think, moving forward. So, according to Codicus, on the oldest part of the ancestral lands of the Lackless family is a door with no hinges and no handles and no lock. And nobody knows what it goes to, but they have this door door and it's very similarly described to the four plate door at the university right so my assumption is that potentially the lackless ancestral lands were much larger in the past and may have included areas of the university and that door is technically on their 
ancestral lands, the mm. oldest part. Um, it might not be their lands anymore. And that might be the lackless door. There's also the lackless box, and they may or may not be the same thing. Mm. They might be connected artifacts. Um, it might be something where people think it's a door, but it's a unopenable box that Malin Lackless ends up possessing, and we learn about later on. But it's very perplexing, and Codicus brings it up right off the bat, so it's a pretty well-known Yeah, it's almost story, like an urban legend kind of deal. But nobody really knows what it is, or what it does, or if it's, like, the source of their power, or, like, anything. Nobody knows anything. So, it's definitely something to speculate, especially with um, regards to the foreplay door at the university and that being maybe old uncharted territory of the Lackless family because at one point, several chapters from now, they do say how the Lackless is one of the oldest families in the world. Yeah, that's what I was just saying is that like maybe their lands were a lot bigger in the right, past. Right, and their name has changed over time. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it's just definitely interesting. And we've brought it up before too, like, the story of Eax slash Jax, which we learn later, he's described as a luckless boy or a boy with no luck, but that might be luckless, lackless, lockless. Even Devin Lockie's yeah. chronicler has a very similar last name, so there's a chance that it's a very large, old family with a lot of like branches off of it. Yeah, as Codicus is kind of puffing himself up and saying, "I know a great many things about all royal families in the area." Because um, I pay a lot of visits as an arcanist, and I I find myself privy to certain stories. And yeah, so people are always eager to host the mayor's own arcanist. Kavolt makes up a convincing lie, saying, "You know, oh, I could only handle two, you know, families at a time. That's way too much material." And, I would get too confused. And so, again, p- pretending he's not very smart. And then also blowing up. Codicus's ego when he says, "May I watch you make uh, the mayor's medicine? I've never seen a potion being made." Right. So and like Codicus hams it up and like lights some blue candles, which both knows don't do anything. Yes. Uh, and he's watching. And one thing that I picked up on is that like we don't know a lot of the ingredients going into the mixture, but he does make it in a lead bowl. Yes. That's not good, obviously. <laughs> no, and especially when something is bubbling and dissolving. Right. As he's making his quote-unquote medicine, Kavoth is paying very special attention to what he's doing, and Codicus then hands him the vial and says, you know, make sure the mayor drinks it while it's warm. And Kind of ushers him out. And he says, you know, um, come back tomorrow, I'll have some information on the Lackless family, but think again on my offer about giving you information on other families, because I... I know all of them. I know all the dirt, basically. I almost feel like Kavos should get all the information about the families, because it might help his search for Amir Shandrian, but also you don't want to get too distracted and bogged down. Right. So Kavos makes his way back to the mayor's rooms. And so the mayor, like, um, ushers him forward, and he's like, give me my medicine. Kavos interrupts him. Yeah, he's, like, very... Hesitant. Hesitant to give him the medicine, before the mayor could even protest his impropriety, uh, he whispers, like, Codicus is poisoning you. And that's the end! Ugh, the end of the section for this uh, week's episode. And so, what a cliffhanger. Like, there's a lot to unpack. There's, like, the, solo- the social and political implications of this. Um, the fact that Kavoth is, like, a newcomer in this town, well, in this kingdom... 
and he's literally telling its ruler that one of his most trusted and appointed arcanists is poisoning him. Right. When we saw earlier in the section, just by saying a little bit of slander against someone can result in a duel to the death or even just the law being brought down upon you. Yeah, so he like just a serious like accusation. into like, the danger zone. It's very, very high accusation. There's also like 10 other things going on. Like he is in a whole new place. He's playing this weird long game with the mayor. Now he's involved with researching the Lackless family. We get the first mention of the Lackless door. There's the mystery and intrigue of who Brayden is. Uh, and if he's anyone of importance or if he's just one of those characters similar to like maybe Threpe, who's a big part of the story, but so far hasn't played many important roles in his search for like the Shandry and like the overall plot. Yeah. The long plot. There's also the pressure of like he doesn't have his loot. He's running out of time there. And he's feeling very captive in the mayor's court. So it's a lot of different stuff going on. It's all very different from the university. Mm-hmm. Um it's a whole different type of politics that Kavoth isn't used to. Like all the social etiquette is something he's not used to at all. Now we're going to figure out how the mayor reacts to his accusation that Codicus is poisoning him. So yeah. there's a lot that's going to happen in the next couple of episodes. Like you said, this feels like the part where the book really like shifts gear and like increases the amount of like things going on, how fast the plot is moving, how much Kavoth is learning and doing um, now that he's outside of the university. Yeah, the action and drama like skyrockets. Very excited. Glad we're back at it. And I'm very excited to see how the developments change as we continue on. Yeah, I'm pretty excited. I honestly don't really remember too much of Kavoth's time in Vintus. So don't spoil it for me. <laughs> no spoilies. No spoilies. Um, I really just remember once he leaves to go fight the bandits. So I don't know. I just read it really, really fast. Um, but to be honest with you, I don't remember how this whole thing with Codicus. Oh, develops so cool. i'm gonna be stoked for the next episode uh or two episodes depending on how long it takes us to get through and we will find out yes how this we all will plays out but until then viewers happy reading thanks for listening if you like what you hear check out our website fantasticbookspod.com or follow us on instagram or facebook at fantasticbookspod don't forget to follow rate and leave a review thanks, thanks.